Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. You're listening to the College Info Geek Podcast, where it's all about learning more, paying off your student debt, landing your dream job, and being awesome at college. Now, here's your host, Thomas Frank. I don't get it either, Plank. Welcome back once again to the College Info Geek Podcast. Friends. Brothers and sisters in arms, compatriots, we have finally made it to the Big One Zero, episode 10. We've gone through interviews, monologues, the works, but now we are finally here. So welcome back. This is the first big milestone of the podcast, and hopefully we're going to have lots and lots more to come in the future. Now, I know I've been pretty quiet lately. It's been a little bit of a long time since the last podcast, but I swear I have a good excuse. Uh, I was in Japan, it was kind of far away from my microphone, so I didn't really have the option of recording a podcast. And let me tell you, carrying a Blue Yeti microphone in my backpack would have been kind of a hard thing to do because this thing is like five pounds of solid steel. And getting it through airport security to Austin back in February was um, not super fun. So I didn't really want to try to bring it to Japan. But anyway... Uh, we're back. I'm back in Iowa. Got a new desk. Got some new monitors I'm staring at. And I'm back in action. Now, as for Japan, I do plan on making some travel content in the future. So if you're interested in going to Japan or studying abroad, I'm going to take those experiences and make some pretty cool posts out of them. So look forward to that in the future. But on to today's episode's content. Now, a little bit of a history behind the uh, point of today's episode. So let's dig into that a little bit before we get into the interview. Uh, back in March, I wrote a post called How to Learn More Outside of Class Than You Could Ever Learn Inside of It. And if you want to look at that post, it's at collegeinfogeek.com slash self-study. You can go read that post. And it's all about how to build a self-study curriculum so you can learn something either faster than you can learn it in class or if it's something that you couldn't learn in class, you know, whether there is no class to learn it or it's just something that's not really conducive to in-class learning. That's a whole big guide to motivate yourself how to find resources to learn, and, you know, I kind of just geeked out in that post. But I must say, I was a little bit hard on the whole in-class learning thing, kind of just dismissed it as old hat. Um, I was very enthusiastic about the self-study because that's been very successful for me. So, and I admit, I might have been a little bit too hard in it. So, my friend Robbie Williford, who has been reading the blog for quite a long time, um, got on Twitter and, you know, voiced his thoughts on the issue, and he said, you know, in-class learning has its merits, and he actually pitched me an idea that, you know, what if we did a debate or, you know, kind of a debate post on in-class learning versus self-study and out-of-class learning. And I thought it would be cool to do a podcast interview instead. So today's episode will be kind of, you know, debate slash interview with Robbie on in-class versus out-of-class learning. Now, Robbie is a rising senior at Oakland University in Rochester, Michigan. He is a writer for Hat College and Lifehack.org. Uh, lifehack.org is a blog that I've actually written for a couple of times, so I'm pretty familiar with that. And then Hack College, as some of you might know, was the blog that I originally had wanted to write for, and instead I started College Info Geek. So 
it's pretty cool. Uh, he's following a very similar path to what I did, and you know he's a really really motivated guy. He's going into higher ed, so he'll be going to grad uh, grad school to study student affairs. Um, he's also an RA at his school, so Robbie's got a lot of things going and a lot of really good things to say. So I'm very excited to get into this interview and talk with him about this whole debate between in class and out of class learning. Uh, if you want to get the show notes for this episode to see anything that is mentioned, any apps or tools that we mention or links that I would like to point you to, just go to collegeinfogeek.com slash cast. As always, click on the listing for episode 10 and you'll find those there. Also, if you enjoyed this episode or if you've enjoyed the episodes previous to this, I would absolutely love it if you could go into iTunes, give this show a rating or a review, you know, let them know that you're enjoying it. It really helps the ratings out. All right, so all the intro crap is out of the way. Let's get this on the road. Well, welcome to the show, Robbie. It's good to have you on and good to talk to you finally face-to-face. Yeah, it's good to be here, man. I'm excited. Cool. Okay, so this is not really an interview um, the way you had kind of emailed me and said what you wanted to structure. is kind of a debate between the whole in-class versus out-of-class learning styles. Um, you know, I'm definitely more an advocate of the out-of-class learning, you know, self-motivated kind of things, as far as you were saying, there are a lot of merits to in-class learning. So really excited to dig down into this topic and, you know, get the argument on both sides for people that are interested in, uh, you know, which one they think is better and which one we think is better. So I'll just let you start out, you know, like, uh, what's your experience with in-class learning? You know, why do you think it's, what do you think it's so great and what has it done for you? Well, I first off want to say that I am an advocate for both in-class and out-of-class learning, uh, but I think that it's often overlooked that in-class learning is, is important. And, um, well, I mean, I, I think a lot of people can can agree to the, to the fact that a lot of the higher education, especially, um, and even like high school and, and stuff like that, that kind of education is kind of broken to a point. Uh, but I, I'm someone who... I think I like to just make the most of, you know, everything that I'm involved in. So with that being said, in-class learning for I possibly can get out of the class. Um, so, I mean, obviously in college, I mean, a lot of people will come to class. They'll do the minimum, what they need to do to get a good grade, maybe not even learn anything at all and be on their way to their next, you know, set of classes the next semester. And And for me, I like to take the class in and and learn as much as I possibly can and pick the professor's brain and and uh you know go to their office hours that kind of thing and so for me I think it's often overlooked that you know you can you can go to a classroom and learn from somebody who has learned this already and and still it I mean it could be the same as you know re, um reading a book or learning on your own kind of thing and so I just kind of want to you know foster that debate I, I want I want people to know that Yes, you can learn out, out of the classroom. In fact, I do a lot of my learning outside of the classroom. But I also think it's important to try to do your best to, uh, for lack of a better phrase, hack your, your, you know, your college experience with your academics. Okay, so I definitely agree with all those points. Um, you know, in-class learning, it really depends on your learning style, I think. A lot of definitely. people like to be told, you know, like to be taught and like to be basically ran through a structured curriculum. Right. Um, in fact, my girlfriend is one of those people. She very much enjoys being taught something, going to a class and you know, having that curriculum to go through. Yeah. But I think the real debate here is, is that style of learning worth the astronomical cost of a college education? You know, should you be paying right, a state school, maybe $6,000, uh, per semester at a private school, 30,000, 40,000 a semester to 
be going through courses, you know, learning things that you could be learning on your own, you know, whether an online class or just reading a book or just, you know, reading blogs and learning on your own. Is it worth that price? I, you know, that's a really good question. I would have to say it's not. It's not worth that price. And I know that's kind of going against what I'm kind of arguing for, but but I wouldn't say it's worth the price in terms of what you could possibly learn, like your potential. Yeah, if you have the drive to learn all the time in life and, and want you want to, you know, research these blogs or research, you know, things that you just want to learn how to do, chances are you can learn how to do it on your own. Um, in fact, I think there's there's a really, really good chance that you can learn anything that you possibly want to learn in a library or, you know, on, on the internet if you find good sources kind of thing. But I think that, yeah, I mean, you, you do pay, I mean, and, and it is kind of an epidemic now, the, the whole, you know, student loan debt and our students really getting their money's worth kind of thing. And, and I would say the answer is no, but I also would say that if you put in the amount of energy, the amount of time, the amount of, you know, work that you could possibly do to learn the stuff that are in your classes, um, I think you can get just about the same. I mean, you're, you're learning from a professional who also went to school. And, and obviously, I mean, and at least in my, in my experience, I mean, I'm in English. So a lot of the professors, you absolutely need to love how you need to love literature. You need to love writing. You need to love, you know, the, the aspect of critical thinking. And so from my experience, I've come across a lot of people who absolutely love to teach. And when you are in a class like that, you are inspired to do more. Um, at least from my experience. And so I can take that inside the class and outside the classroom and apply it. And I, and I think, you know, I think it, it's worth it. I think it's worth it in that aspect. But in terms of just a general, like, I need this to get, you know, basically a piece of paper and have the ability to put on, uh, you know, applications to, to jobs that I, I have this degree. I'm sorry, you cut out there for a second. Uh, I said I don't think it's worth it in the aspect of, of you know having a, a piece of paper in the end that says that you graduated with you know a, a bachelor's of arts in, in this or a bachelor's of science in this um, because when it comes down to it you can learn a lot of that stuff outside of the classroom but it, at the same time if you make the most of your of your you know college experience I think you can make an argument that paying that amount is, is kind of worth it right yeah. so I mean you I think you would agree with this and that the you know the, one of the biggest selling points of the college way of learning the in class learning is it's the very direct way to um, learning a specific thing instead right. of having to go out and find the resources and hit all the dead ends and you know having to dig up everything yourself you're being presented with the information from someone who's been there and done that and succeeded and they already know that right. stuff right so I mean that's that's the same philosophy behind paying a lot of money for a training package. Mm-hmm. Or something like, you know, if Derek Halpern is out there selling a blogging course for $1,000 or however much it is, some people are going to buy that because that it's like the quickest way, at least that's presented that way, instead of having to go out and figure it all on your own. Of course, yeah, I agree. And I do agree with that. Um, for me, it's like if you can figure out a way to make your college affordable and you are the kind of person who learns better in the environment where you're with other people and you're going through a curriculum, that's fine. Where I start to take issue with it is when you're paying $40,000 a semester, you know, you're going to a private school or out-of-state school, and you're being fed this 
this idea that you this is the only way to learn this is the, this is the only way to reach your goal is right. you have to pay this astronomical amount of money to go through this pre-structured curriculum yeah that's a that's a frustrating outlook in my opinion i mean you're told that from a, as a as a kid growing up i mean your parents or maybe not your parents maybe just you know people that you come across maybe high school teachers or people just believe that college is the way out for every single person and you're right $40,000 a semester or even a year in my opinion is way too much way too much but the way i look at it is college is kind of the foundation i mean it, it, as long as you're hacking your college the way that you possibly can like to the most potential that you possibly can i think that you know you're you're going to get your money's worth in terms of if you put in that time if you put in that energy and and all that the only thing that i that i think that sets it apart is college is the foundation for me um in terms of learning that i can take away from you know being in the class the classroom and kind of go from there and i don't i know that there's not a lot of people who may even think that way but um I, a lot of people have that general, you know, conception that college is, you know, the way out, and I need to go to college in order to get a degree and in order to get a good job, and and that's definitely not true. I would I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's, there's there's something that Gary Vaynerchuk said in my interview with him. You know, there's no such thing as an absolute statement, and yeah. that's something I 100% agree with because there are so many different factors and variables in certain fields. I would say in the hard sciences, you know, chemistry, biology, physics. Uh, especially applied sciences, you probably do need to go to college for that. Yeah, definitely. Because the internet is not the same as a laboratory environment where you have access to all you know state-of-the-art equipment and stuff like that. So going to a research university for that kind of a program, I think, is definitely a good option. It's probably your only option to break into that area. Yeah. Um, plus, I mean, in science, you science is a very credentialed, very structured field where you need to have that piece of paper it's very very important yeah and then even in other industries it's you need i mean you need those credentials because the companies that are leading those industries want to see that and it's you know it's kind of not a not the most optimal thing you would wish that it would be your portfolio and you know right. skills and experience and what you can demonstrate that you can do would get you in the door but a lot of those places, the HR, you know, wall in front of the job wants to see that piece of paper. Yeah. That's yeah. just the reality of the situation. Well, so. Definitely. I agree with that. I agree with that. Do you think, um, I mean, I'm, I'm a big ad- advocate for face-to-face learning in terms of with your peers, learning from people around you kind of thing. Um, do you think that that is, like the potential for that is higher when you go to college rather than learning on your own? Like if you were to graduate from high school and then, you know, try to learn everything that you possibly could four years afterwards. That would be the equivalent to learning everything in college. Do you think that, you know, what, which way would you rather go in terms of peer-to-peer learning? I guess. Well, I think it's a question of motivation and your your ability and you know your natural tendency to build relationships. Right. So if you are a natural networker and you're highly motivated and you know what you want to learn and you can go out and find other people who want to start a project around that. Mm-hmm. you're going to learn so fast. I mean, if I want to learn to be a web developer and I get a couple of guys to build a web app with, and you know, we're just hammering that thing all week long, I'm going to learn more in a week than I probably learn in a semester. That's but on the true. other hand, if you don't really know what you want to do, then 
if you get into the right classroom environment mm-hmm. with similarly motivated peers, then yeah, I'll agree with you that that can be a very, very beneficial learning situation. The problem is what you usually get is a lecture style you know, classroom where everyone just kind of comes together. They are in their own little bubble where they watch the professor lecture. Uh, most of the time it's just like they go off the book or go off the slides and it's not really a group learning environment. Right. Now, when the teachers actually take the initiative to build a truly, you know, innovative learning experience where you're actually building something with a group, that can be very beneficial. My uh, my final MIS class, I think it was, I took it fall semester, um, got it done out of the way early, was literally, they started the class out as lectures and notes and, you know, note-taking and tests, which traditionally had not been how they run the class. And we all complained to the administration. You know, I was just very vocal about how the class should go back to how it used to be. And they heard us. They went back to the original format, which was literally the entire class was you pick a project with a group and you build it, whether it's for a company who needs some IT work done or just, you know, web app or you want to build it. You just you build. You know, there's no notes or lectures or anything, and that was an insanely good learning experience for right. everyone involved. I think everyone came out sitting with very good feedback about that experience, and they wouldn't have had it if they wouldn't have been brought into this class and you know told to do it. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I I absolutely hate lecture classes. In fact, I find myself falling asleep in them because I'm not being engaged. You know, and I think that's something that, at least being in the English department, like. In class discussion has to happen, whether mm-hmm. you want it to or not. Whether you are a social butterfly in classes or not, you have to talk. You you have to hear the professor talk. You have to re- respond to the professor, and so I think that's where I'm a little um, naive to that sense because the last time I had a lecture class like that was probably my sophomore year, which was two years ago, and that's <laughs> I could I remember falling asleep and I remember not wanting to go above and beyond. Mm-hmm. Me. But um, I definitely would agree with you. I would agree with you. I mean, that's something that, you know, I think the lecture classes, the professors are just in it for the benefits of themselves. They're not really there to teach the students. And, and that's kind of doing an injustice to the future of, of this, you know, the world, really. If there are teachers like that that are going to, you're going to come to a class, you're going to, you know, read off of slides that people could read on their own and not, you wouldn't have to waste their time. You just say, class is canceled read the slides if you're going to do the same thing, you know, in class. Um, and it's just a big injustice to, to people who want to do better, maybe, you know, so. Right. And once again, no absolute statements there, because I don't want to, I don't want to come out of saying, you know, every, every professor who teaches a lecture class is not really caring about their students and they're just reading off slides, because I've been in some lecture classes that have been great. And you can definitely tell the professor cares. My first programming class, the teacher told everyone to come up and meet him at the end of the class and always encouraged people to come to office hours and get help. So definitely there are a lot of teachers out there that are doing their job. You know, they really care. But on the other hand, there's certainly a lot of teachers who they're in it for, you know, they're there to research. Yeah. They're there to get their, their, you know, their CV bolstered and they have to teach. So Mm -hmm. they're not, hard is not in it. And that's, there is one point I want to bring up um, with relation to that. There's been studies done where, you know, people, you know, they always tout like the star faculty at mm-hmm. universities and it's like a big selling point to right. go to private universities. We have, you know, faculty that have published these papers and won the Nobel Prize and all that stuff. 
Um, when you think about it, those faculty built their career upon research and publication. And do you think that kind of, you know, that kind of a faculty member is going to focus the bulk of their attention on teaching freshmen, introductory stuff, or are they going to be focusing their attention on more research, more publication, things that aren't necessarily going to benefit you if you attend their class? So for people listening, I, you know, I would take note of that. Yeah. If you're looking at a university and they're saying, oh, we have, you know, celebrity faculty who have done all these things, this, this, and this, it's not necessarily going to help you. I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. And when I attended community college classes in high school, I noticed that the professors there were very, very um, interested in the welfare of the students because their job is literally just to teach. Right. It's right. not a research institution at all. Yeah, and, and those are the professors that I... I tend to have a relationship with in terms of wanting to go and meet with them and wanting to learn outside of the classroom too. Um, I love coming across the professors that I, I've actually had a couple of professors this last year who were they were, were known for some a lot of their research, but they also wanted to be in the classroom as well. And and when when you come across you know professors like that, I mean, I don't know how to put a a, a price tag on it, but. I think that's like one of the most beneficial things is coming across those kind of professors. So, definitely, yeah, yeah. They're the professor like that is a very good person to build a relationship with. Definitely. So, I don't think most students who are listening to this are caught between the decision whether to drop college altogether and study on their own, and or just you know go to college and learn everything in class. I think the more common um, dilemma they have is. Should I double major or like mm-hmm. add a minor, add another major to my schedule and just overload myself with classes? Or should I take a, one single major, not be too involved in structured education beyond that and use the extra time I have to work on a project, work on a blog, learn something in my free time? Um, yeah. I think you know what my view on this is. So <laughs> what do you think? Like, Should people double major or should they have some free time to work on some unstructured stuff? You know, I, I tend to lean towards them having the free time to work on some some of their own projects. Um, I, I I'm majoring in English and minoring in creative writing, but the two are so closely aligned in terms of what classes I need to take. It's like I'm not even. It's like I have the same amount of time. Mm-hmm. Like some of the some of the classes double dip for both of them. So I I'm a big advocate for learning on your own and and. For example, I'm learning, I just started learning how to code um, maybe a week and a half ago, and I'm, I'm kind of going through Code Academy and, and trying to just get the basics down. But I, if I were double, double majoring, I wouldn't have been able to do that for sure. And so I'm, that's, that's just me, though. And, and I think you, you kind of would agree with me in, in terms of you know, having that extra time to really you know, dedicate that time to your, your life goals or some projects that you want to work on. And I mean, you're successful through it. I mean, with your blog. So, um, yeah, I, w- I would definitely say having the free time and and creating that time for yourself that you can learn from yourself. You can try new things. You can travel. You can do all sorts of things and not overload yourself. Um, I've come across quite a few people who I came in 2009. We started going to college at the same time, and they have not had some sort of break they haven't they didn't take their summers off in terms of academics and and i think that really overloaded them and and Mm -hmm. i I knew somebody who graduated in three years because he maxed out his credits every single semester including the summer semesters and didn't really have time to do much of anything else and that's 
kind of, I mean, that's, to me, you're just kind of getting ripped off in terms of that time in your life. You're, you're kind of just giving that time away um, and, and really not giving yourself any time to grow or do much of anything else. And so I would definitely say that you need, you need to have some time to, to work on other things too. Exactly. Because, I mean, sitting there passively learning all day is – it's only one part of your growth. You need to be actively yeah. doing something else. And I I really can't stress the importance of having free time. I mean, yeah. I was pretty busy in college, but I still had a good amount of free time to goof around, take mattresses off the bed and joust with them in the hallways. Well, <laughs> I mean, we had time for that. And yeah. I really think that, you know, led to me having time to be creative and think of things that ended up being really successful for me. Because let's make no bones about it. I spent most of my class time surfing Craigslist and forums and <laughs> I never really paid attention. Right. But I, you know, when I'm, when I'm working on a creative project, learning something in my own time, I'm on and I'm focused. And, you know, freshman year, I met a kid who said he was double majoring in history and Russian. And uh, his roommate told me literally all day he would go to class, he would come home, study at his desk until midnight and go to bed. And, you know, maybe his life changed because freshman year was the last I heard of him. But let me tell you, if I was a hiring manager looking at a resume of somebody who had done that for four years, just literally go to class and study yeah you got two majors um you know a lot of stuff but where's the experience how do i know you're going to be able to do you know provide a valuable service for me i know you know things yeah because you you know you went through this curriculum so i can say okay you know what's on this curriculum but what have you done yeah no i agree and, and even that plays into socially how much are you developed you know if, if all mm-hmm. you're doing is going to class coming back studying and than doing the same thing, that, and it just seems redundant. You know, I mean, how how much socially are you are you learning? Are you taking that time to go out with your friends or or do stupid stuff like you were saying? And um, you know, I mean, I have a buddy of mine who who puts off his a lot of his extra time uh, when he's not in the classroom, obviously, or or working uh, doing comedy sketches. And mm-hmm. I mean, he he writes this he writes scripts, he shoots them with a you know, one of those little, um, flip cams and they turn out to be hilarious. And that's him outside of the classroom doing things that he doesn't absolutely need to do in order to graduate, but he's, he's meeting people. He's, you know, making connections, he's networking and he's, he's going to be successful because of it. I really think so. Yeah. There's a lot of benefit in doing creative things and doing social things. Um, you listened to the interview with Gary Vee, right? Yes. Yes. He was talking about that too. He was saying, you know, I wouldn't even send my kids to college. Yeah, that time spent learning things in on your own or doing projects is uh, very good. But all the time spent in class, he would have his kids out partying or out, you know, <laughs> doing social things. Because in his opinion, in my opinion as well, that time in your life, you know, 18 to 22, is a really important time for you to grow up and mature yeah. and become socially competent. It's no longer high school. It's no longer you coming home and having mom yell at you every night. You have to figure out how to do things on your own, how to go out and meet people, build relationships. I don't even condemn the people who go out and party and go out to the bars every weekend. Yeah. You know, they're at least socializing as long as they've got something else going for them and they're not just doing that. Yeah. That can be beneficial on its own. I agree. I agree. I think, I, yeah. I, I, that's me too. Me too. I think that it's one of those big things where if you don't give yourself that time to socially grow, then, I mean, you can only be the half the person that you can really become. In, in my opinion, and I don't mean to make it a, a you know, absolute, um, an absolute statement, but 
if you don't give yourself the time to grow socially, make mistakes and, you know, go out with your friends or you do other things outside of what you love to do in terms of academically or what you want to do with your life, you're really not going to grow. And when you don't grow, you're not really doing much, you know, in terms of advancing yourself in the world. Right. Awesome. So um, let's give a little personal example here. So for the people that are wondering, you know, what do I do with my time if I'm not going to class? So what do you do to hack your college experience um, outside of class? How do you make the most of your time? Oh, good question. Well, um, outside of class, I, I also have a couple of different jobs, um, but they don't take up 100% of my time. At least last semester they, it did because I was, I was in student congress, and so that took up quite a bit of time, but I was also doing things that I absolutely loved to do. Um, but what I what I normally do, I mean, it, outside of the classroom would be, I, I mean, I write for a hack college. So, I mean, that's something that I did completely on my own. You know, I, I just, I was following the blog and I was like, well, this is something that I definitely could, could see myself, you know, contributing to and it's on my own and why not? So I, I shot Greg an email over there and uh, he, you know, kind of set me up there and so there's that, and then uh, through that, I've been kind of networking and, and meeting a lot of people and following a lot of blogs, including yours, and and it's really been a re- very fruitful experience. So you can you can go that route. You can you know spend your time finding other ways that to do things that you love to do, um, or you could even you could get up get involved in in a student organization. Um, anything. I mean, we we have at, at Oakland University, we have so many different student orgs here like we have a juggling club like we have a quidditch team it's it's crazy you can literally do pretty much anything that you want to do with a student org or you can make your own student org um but i i think that it's it's important to really figure out what you love to do when you have that free time and and you learn i think a lot of it comes through experience and trial and error in terms of what you actually like to do so for example in your in your um for your summers you can you can travel or you can um you know do things like that 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 you're really going to learn about yourself and you're really going to learn outside of the classroom and it'll help you even inside of the classroom because you'll have more experience and, and more um of your time was dedicated to to learning outside of the classroom uh, I'm, I'm a big advocate for to-do lists and and uh having you know weekly or monthly to-do lists and with that you can kind of give yourself you can hold yourself accountable for the things that you want to accomplish. Um, so there's a lot of that. And I mean, aside from the, the regular, you know, uh, basketball games or stuff like that at, at your at your school, there's a lot that you can do. It's just about figuring out what you want to do first. And I mean, truly want to do because, I mean, I wouldn't be trying to learn. I wouldn't try to learn how to code. And, and that's. You know, that's something that you really have to take take a look in the mirror and figure out what you really want to do. Mm-hmm. Definitely love to-do lists. I love impossible lists, actually. <laughs> yes, you do. You know, I'm not going to lie. That that impossible list has uh, really done a lot for me. Um, just the act of, like, writing down those goals with the intention of actively pursuing them instead of just putting them off for another day. Uh, I never would have done some of that stuff if I hadn't been just up there, you know, mm-hmm. staring me in the face. Right. Um, really want to reiterate what you said, though. Like, it's important to figure out what you love to do, even if it's playing video games. My right. friend Caleb Wojcik, he grew up, you know, playing lots of video games in college, and he still was able to, you know, take the experiences from that 
to build a career for himself. Um, you know, I, love, I love Caleb. Yeah, Caleb's an awesome guy. He's awesome. Yeah, he, he's a lot of a lot of really great skills, and he's doing a lot of really stu- great stuff. Yeah, but yeah, doing what you love to do. First two years of college for me was, you know, I thought I have to pile as much stuff up onto my resume as possible because, you know, everyone tells you colleges, you know, you need to make the most of it because the workforce is a very competitive place. You have all these, you know, older people with more skills that are competing for entry-level jobs now. The economy's bad. All, you know, all this fear-mongering. So for me, it was like, holy crap, I need to come out of college looking like I've been in the workforce for 10 years. Right. Joining business council. And I was on, I was on like academic standards committee. I would literally, (laughs) I, I took my free time, went to a room and I would like, be part of the decision process on whether students who had failed would be reinstated in the college. Like I, oh. what kind of what kind of college student goes and does that with their time? Right. Other yeah. than someone who thinks they need to pack as much onto their resume as possible. I mean, yeah. I I guess I built I built some good relationships with people through that, but it's not something that I would have done if I would have actually been following what I wanted to do. Right. So last two years of college, especially last year and a half after I stopped mm-hmm. being an RA, was very focused on paring down my obligations and focusing on what I really love to do. And that was a really productive time. And the contrast between the two summers and between that summer before was stuck in a cubicle at an office and the summer <laughs> after was in Japan and skydiving and all that kind of stuff. So Yeah. Big difference. Um, big difference. You know, I think there's something to be said for paying your dues and getting your name out there and working, you know, doing things but I don't think you should just blindly try to fill your resume with things no, and I just agree. try to look professional. You know, it's not, it's not really worth it in the end. Right. If there is a hiring manager that, that hires based off of your personal experiences outside of the job and outside of the classroom, I would love to meet you because that's, that to me, like if you, if you can tell me all about what you've accomplished outside of the classroom and what you've accomplished, you know, um, not having to do with school and and get hired like i i admire you for that <laughs> because mm-hmm. that's that's what it should be about it should i personally don't think it should be about um or at least 100 percent about everything that you learn at school because every school is going to be different and if, if you if hiring managers are looking for this generic person who you know studied um communication then it's a very broad thing but you know, everybody is going to be is going to look the same on paper in that aspect if you get the same experiences. So, what have you done outside of the classroom that that can help you with getting a job? You know, so. Mm-hmm. And I think largely that is a thing that a lot of hiring managers look for. The problem is that a lot of times they still want to look. They want you know institutional experiences. Right. Did you have an internship with a big, well-known company? Were you in clubs? I like to see the ones that put a lot of focus and emphasis on personal projects oh you built your own web app that's awesome you know you built something on your own or you learned something on your own which is why i really love the startup world because it seems like people there just get it right they're not interested in formal credentials they're interested in what you can do and what you've already done what you can show them right i agree so i definitely love that so one thing that i hear from students who you know they're totally sold on the concept of learning things or having their own projects is the motivation aspect so I think, you know, to some degree, some people are more motivated than others and more self-driven, which is part of the appeal of a classroom environment. There is accountability there. 
there is built-in motivation. But how can someone motivate themselves, you know, and get past that initial excitement phase and keep going with whatever the project they're working on? Uh, yeah, so I think that for, for motivation, it really, you have to start with yourself. Um, and and it comes from, it starts with, with yourself and then moves to the people that are around you. Um, I, I'm a big believer that, I'm a very firm believer that if you surround yourself with people who who also can motivate you, then you're going to be a little bit more successful in terms of accomplishing your goals. And so if you're if you're someone who's looking for for motivation, I think it is very very simple. Um, start with yourself and figure out the things that you absolutely love to do and what you would do to accomplish them, uh, like what your limits are, and then run with it. And and for me, it was telling a couple of my best friends, you know, what I absolutely want to do, whether it was with my life or whether it was just projects or academically, and and then I asked them to hold me accountable for them and and so far it's it's been working i mean if they see that i'm you know slipping up or that i I may be not motivated then they they normally reignite that fire under me um but i but it it really it really begins with yourself i mean if you if you want to if you want to lose 10 pounds and and there's no motivation for you to do it then chances are you're not going to lose 10 pounds i mean if you don't have motivation to do something you know how are you going to accomplish it in the way that you want to so if you want to lose 10 pounds, you should start have you should start, you know, maybe working out a little bit more, maybe going first of all you can start with just walking three times a week and then you can up it to four times and then start jogging, start running. If you absolutely want to do something, you will find a way to do it and that's that's what my belief is. Right. Um but it, it starts with you and then it would go to the people around you. And I mean that's the most simple way that I can put it in terms of if you absolutely want to do something. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I've always said as well is, you know, if you want it bad enough, you're going to make it happen somehow. But I like how you mentioned telling your friends and, you know, asking them to keep you accountable. Because if you do have friends that truly care, they will keep you accountable. Mm-hmm. At one point, I wrote an article about, you know, not telling your goals to people because mm-hmm. telling someone a goal gives you some of the satisfaction of doing it because you've kind of taken a you feel like you've taken a step in getting it out there. But I think if you have a friend that will actively keep you accountable, then by all means tell them your goal, ask them to keep you accountable. Maybe ask them what their goals are and you can keep them accountable. Just, you know, be buddies for each other. Yeah. Um that can be really helpful. And oh, then definitely. for me it's setting goals and having them be very concrete. You know, I want to have right. this done by this time. Um, yeah. And it's really, I really like the uh, Pick 4 Method book, which is uh, kind of a book where you have four goals and you write down your progress on them every single day. Right. That tool keeps me really accountable to myself. Whereas, you know, I can't, if I don't do anything in a day, I have to write nothing on that day. And I don't want to do that because it kind of breaks my streak of what I've already right. done. Right. Yeah. So, no, I agree. I agree. That That's a really great method too. I I saw that you... Uh, I do. You either mentioned it in a podcast or you wrote about it. I think that's that's good. I I use an app called Lyft, and, and mm, that's the habit uh, app, right? Yeah, it's yeah, you, it's a, a daily thing that you you basically can check whether you did it or not. And I normally will will uh, right before I go to bed, I'll I'll make sure I'll check everything off that I did, and then if, if I see something that I didn't do, I have more motivation to do it the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that just. Re- resides inside myself like I, I want to accomplish things and I want to have good habits 
And so, you know, this is kind of the thing that keeps me accountable personally. Right. So, I mean, if that's something that you're into that maybe you don't want to tell people, you can you can find a, a many different apps that I that I think um, can be very beneficial to you, like like Lyft. Mm-hmm. I actually used Lyft for a while. The only reason I stopped using it is because my phone is slow these days, and uh, uh, okay. doing everything just took forever. But do you use yeah. Lyft for mundane things like brushing your teeth and you know taking your vitamins or stuff, or, or do you just use it for concrete goals and projects? I I use it for things basically to make sure that I don't forget to do them. So, for example, I do I do have like a brush my teeth at night kind of thing, but I also have, uh, you know, make sure that I run or um, stretch or um, I'm in this habit now where I like to write three positive things about every single day. And so I've been making sure that I, that honestly, if I didn't have Lyft, I probably would have forgotten. Okay. <laughs> um, but I think that when, when you set the small the small habits, if if you want to accomplish a goal, you can set small habits to really work towards accomplishing that goal. You know, so yeah, I mean, I use it for for a lot of mundane things, yeah. But I also think that they're, they're, the goals are small, the, or the habits are small enough that I can really work towards uh, building them up. Awesome. Yeah. So this is been less of a debate and more of like hey we both agree on the exact same things right yeah but i think i think we came to a good consensus and it's a, a really good discussion um yeah. about you know in class learning out of class learning making a mixture of the two that works for you and you know benefiting yourself the most for all this money you're spending on the college education which is you mm-hmm. know what you want to do in the last place so you know before we go do you have uh, another piece of advice you'd like to say to students uh, yeah, I, I just think that, and you really want to be successful with yourself. You wanna you wanna deem yourself successful. Then do everything that you possibly can in terms of growing. You know, set the goals, and it's okay if you if you don't reach them right away. If you be the fuel that you use to to accomplish them the next day, or accomplish them the next year, or you know whatever you want to do. But do everything that you can possibly do to learn about yourself. And, and in turn grow and don't be afraid to to fail. I know that those all sound very cliche, but but to me they, they ring really true. I mean if, if you can learn how to embrace failure and and uh, kind of learn how to grow from it and not have such a negative stigma with it, I think you know your your possibilities are endless with what you can accomplish. Right on. And hey, yeah. even if it's cliche, I mean the constant reminder, it's it's still really good stuff to build in to your mind you know build into your worldview so Definitely. awesome advice uh if people want to connect with you where should they go uh well i'm on twitter so it's just the at sign rf williford that's w-i-l-l-i-f-o-r-d uh, feel free to to tweet at me um you can also find me on facebook you just search my first and last name um those are those are the main things i would say <laughs> my main social media networks i mean you can connect with me on LinkedIn if you'd like to. but And then um, you're on, uh, you write it for Hat College too, so I'm sure you'll yes, be seeing your yep. articles on there. Yep. Yep. All right. That's about it. Cool. Well, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. This has been really, really a uh, good discussion. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. All right, cool. Yep. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed the interview with Robbie Williford. And hopefully, if you, you know, have taken a side or previously taken a side in the whole in class versus out of class debate, maybe you've learned. A couple of things that you can use, you know, in your own studies 
that you maybe didn't know before. So even if you're, you know, very into in-class learning, you love the college experience, maybe you've learned a few things to motivate yourself or bring in some outside projects, you know, bolster your resume, that kind of thing. So I think it was a really, really useful discussion. I'm definitely going to go back and listen to it again so I can just help myself out, even though I'm not taking classes anymore. Still very useful for me. So once again, if you want to follow Ravi on, on Twitter, he's just at RF Williford. I'll link to that in the show notes. Once again, collegeinfogeek.com slash cast. Find episode 10, and you can get all those links. All right, well, that is about it for this episode of the College Info Geek podcast, and I will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the College Info Geek podcast. Grow your brain even more at www.collegeinfogeek.com.